Solomon, in our scripture this morning, in chapter 2, to the end of the chapter, as we close uh, this final uh, session, as Solomon says, these two are all these things in life are trivial. And he starts to pick on toil or work. The work and accomplishments of your hand. And he comes to this conclusion and this point. No matter how much we accomplish by our work, without God at the center of it, we will wind up hating it. It doesn't matter how much you like work. It doesn't matter how much. Eventually, if you put all your eggs in the fact that how hard you work, all your accomplishments, everything, you're going to eventually sit back and you're going to hate it. If the sum total of your life is under the sun, you remember the phrase under the sun means everything on earth. Everything that we can accomplish on earth. Think about it. Solomon was the wisest. He did the most. He accomplished the most. He understood the most. He experienced the most pleasure. He experienced it all. And he worked the hardest at it. And if the sum total of your life is just what's here on earth, it'll wind up just being empty. That's kind of depressing. There's a couple of important words in in verses 18 in our text and and a couple of them is is the word hate the word hate when he says and he looked at all of his labor his toil and he hated it the word hate there in the hebrew literally means he actually considered the things he accomplished to be an enemy that's what the word hate means when he looked back at all the things he accomplished, he said, I just really, I count it an enemy. It's an enemy. It's amazing. The word labor or toil shows up eight times in these six verses. It means literally to labor, to work to the point of exhaustion. It describes a hardworking person. A person who works to the point, sun up, sundown to where they wear themselves out. By the time they get to retirement, they're just spent. Solomon says he's worked so hard, he's toiled so hard that he's spent, he's tired of it all, and he hates it. He sees all of his work as being an enemy. Maybe that's how you feel. Maybe that's when you wake up and it's just like oh, the enemy of going to school, the enemy of you know, going to work, the enemy of dealing with a relationship, whatever the enemy is, whatever the toil is in your life, it's become an enemy. You hate it. That's where Solomon is. He says it's empty. Why? Why does he say this? Why is he saying, I've hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun? Because literally, at the end of verse 18, he says, because we all die and leave everything. In our notes there, if, there we go. 
Because we all die and leave everything to someone else. We're going to leave everything. He came to the reality that he's going to die. He's going to just, everything that he worked for, now he hates it. And somebody else is going to get it. All that vacation time you gave up, all that family time you gave up, everything that you gave up, all the things you did, now somebody else is going to reap the benefit for it. He says, I can't, I don't understand this. Seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. Somebody else is going to get it all. Why did he hate it so much? Verse 19 through 20, because we do not have a guarantee how it's going to be used. You know, it's interesting. If you read the first nine chapters of Proverbs, do you notice the recurring of my son, my son, my son? Solomon is, is focusing this section on his son, saying, follow wisdom, love wisdom, love the fear of God, trust God, know God. And he keeps going on and on and on. And he says, my son, my son, don't forget what I've taught you. Why? Because he knew there was no guarantee that all the things that he did for his kids, that they were going to use it wisely. He understood that there was no guarantee. They could use it foolishly or they can use it wisely. The truth is we may select somebody to give it all but once we're gone we have no control over it we don't know what, what how it's going to be used we don't know what it's going to be used for even this even though solomon knew how to use wisdom make all these amazing decisions even though he gained all this wealth he knew he was going to turn it over if you look at the old testament in in kings and and you look at 1 Kings, 2 Kings, you go into Chronicles, you go into Judges, you realize what did they do with the wealth of the world? They squandered it. There was basically a ton of foolish kings. They end up, you remember all the homages that they paid? Like, we'll just pay off Assyria. We'll just pay off all these nations We'll just pay them off and we'll, we will do whatever we want to do. We won't follow God. We'll just use our wealth. They squandered the wealth that Solomon amassed. It's amazing. It's literally, do you understand that he was very depressed? Look at verse 20. He said, so I turned about and I gave up my heart to despair. The word despair is one that Solomon was completely cast down in his spirit to the point of being without any hope. The text here literally, this was the reality of where his heart was. He was hopelessly depressed. Quite frankly, he was putting far too much emphasis into the fruit of his labor. 
he was in utter despair, realizing all the, the fact of what was really going to happen to his toil. When it came down to it, all the work, this is where it was going to happen. The next thing he realized in verse 21 is because why did he feel, why did he hate all the toil of his hand? Because we will diligently work to accumulate and then turn it over to someone who didn't earn it. Have you ever worked really hard for something and then somebody else got the benefit of it? You're like, ah! I, I can remember as a kid, you know how it is, you know, if you have siblings, right? I remember working so hard. I, I, we would pick berries. And uh, up in Alaska, there's this quite... Uh, if you're an entrepreneur, if you like to work hard, you can pretty do well in Alaska. And they have salmon berries, and we have them here. But the things that we have here, I don't know why you call them salmon berries. They're like tiny. Man, the berries that we got in Alaska, they were, they were gigantic. They made raspberries and the salmon berries just look puny. But we would go out and pick these salmon berries, and we'd pick them, and we would... Get and we'd go down to the grocery store and we'd sell them to them and you could make a pretty good living. And I'd work work so hard and I'd put my bags down and, and my brother would come and take them and run off and give them to the store before I had a chance. You always knew when my, because mine, we would go home and my mom would clean them and bring them and I got more money for, for the little that I had left. But my brothers were always dirty because he would afraid that I would catch him with my berries, so he'd run and try to give them first. The thing was, was I was always, I'd get so angry. I would get so frustrated. My heart would just sink because all that hard work went down the drain. And we fought over those berries. I can remember how many times we fought over those berries. I'd be like picking my berries and... Right? No way my brother was going to benefit off of my hard work. I don't know about you, but that's where Solomon is. In verse 21, he says, Because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who didn't toil for it. Maybe that depresses you. That depressed Solomon. The other reason he hated all the toil was because we won't find peace and contentment without God at the center. Because we won't find peace and contentment without God at the center. Verse 22, what has a man from all his toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is vexation. Even in the night his heart does not rest. Also, this is vanity. Basically, Solomon said there's no peace. There's no contentment. There's only vexation. There's only, basically, he's describing somebody that's tossing and turning all night because there's just no satisfaction. One commentator put it this way. And said, pain and grief and sorrow are the real results of lifelong efforts. If God isn't the center of things, 
Life is futile. Here's the idea here. Neglect your relationship with God and you will never be happy. Neglect your relationship with God and you'll never be happy. But then all of a sudden there's a change. And we finally come to probably the most encouraging verse in all of Ecclesiastes. And we see the second main point of this text. God is the only one who can make life enjoyable. God can make life filled with joy. God can. This is much different than live your best life now. (laughs) This is much different than be fulfilled. God is the source of our joy. Look at verse 24. It says, There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This is also, I saw, is from the hand of God. He is saying literally in the text that you can eat, drink, and toil and have joy because it is the work of God's hand. A life that is enjoyable and meaningful is possible. It's possible. Literally, in the, the verb here in this is that he is telling himself. It's indicating that he has come to the point that he knows deep down in his heart that God can turn his heart towards joy. The ability to enjoy life lies in our relationship with God. Life will be good, not good because every circumstance is good, everything feels good, everything tastes good, everything you do is good, but life can be enjoyed and meaningful when God is at the center. And we see these things in this text. An enjoyable life is a life that only comes by the hand of God. Do you understand that? It's by the work of God. If you're trying to find meaning in your work and in your accomplishments in life, it's just going to be filled with distraught, pain, and despair. But if the meaning of your life is in the center of your relationship with God in your life, then the work of God's hand in your life will produce joy. The word enjoyment, it's such a cool word in the Hebrew. I like studying Hebrew. I do not like trying to speak Hebrew. <laughs> Just ask my daughter. <laughs> I like Greek. That's much better. 
But the word enjoyment is one that speaks of an internal perspective that is in all things happy and excited with life. It's an eternal perspective. Do you understand the difference of having an eternal perspective versus an external perspective? If enjoyment of life were something external, then perhaps man could figure out some way to get joy. But the idea here in verse 24 is, but enjoyment of life is eternal, which means it can only come from God. It's his work. In other words, leave God out of the center of your life and you cannot possibly wind up with joy in your life. The words of the famed scholar H.C. Leopold. It's not the guy that invented the Leopold scope for hunting rifles. (laughs) It's actually a theologian. True enjoyment is possible, but it does not lie within man's power to bestow it upon himself. Which leads us to this other thought. A life that is enjoyable is given by God to one he judges as good. Do you understand the difference? When it's by the work of God, it also is judged by God. Do you understand that God is the one that judges whether your life is good? Verse 26, he says, For to the one Who pleases him, God has given great things. It's God that judges. Verse 25 For apart from him, who can eat and who can have enjoyment? Apart from God, there is no, there's nothing. He gives knowledge, he gives wisdom, he gives joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to the one who pleases God. Do you understand? It's God that judges. If you work your whole life and judge what you think is good, you are going to miss the point. Basically, God has two classifications. Those that love him and those that love themselves. He says that the one, God is the one who can classify who is good and God is the one who can classify who is a sinner. This shows that God does not judge everybody equally. We can go into the whole context and the whole theological perspective of that, but we don't have time for that. But the idea here is that God grants a joy and meaningful life to the one that he judges good. And because of that, we see that when we please God, did you see that? When we love God, when we are focused, the idea of pleasing God is that he is the center of your life. And when that is your main focus, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
then God will grant you wisdom. How can Solomon say this? Do you remember what Solomon asked for when God says, I'll give you anything? And yet, he still failed. But when we please God, God grants wisdom. Did you see the other thing he grants? God will not only grant wisdom, but he grants to the one who pleases him knowledge. The idea is, speaks of the understanding to understand your Father in heaven, to know your Father in heaven. Not just to know about life and to understand all these things. The word here in the Hebrew literally means to understand and to know. Practical. But look at the last thing he says in verse 26. For the one who pleases God has given him wisdom, knowledge, and joy. How do we, it says that we need to keep God at the center and the focus, but we, when we please God, remember, how do we know if we're following God when we love God? Jesus said, you know that you follow me, you know that you are my disciple, when you love me, you will keep my commandments. Don't underestimate that first part when he says, when you love me, you will keep my commandments. God will grant these things. Do you see what we have by the hand of God? Wisdom, knowledge, joy. God's light. By the way, the word joy here is one that refers to a joyful and cheerful mindset that is happy internally, that boils up within and comes out. It's like sweating, right? Most of us don't want to sweat. But when we toil and we work hard, we usually sweat. There's, this is a beautiful language in which he's saying, when he toiled and he worked hard, he was depressed. He sweated And he felt gross. But when we make it our aim to put God at the center of our life, we literally exude joy because he implants and we're no longer sweating despair, but we literally, it's coming out our pores as we respond to the circumstances in our life with joy because we are walking in the light of our Father that is in heaven. We can have joy. It is possible. This is like all of a sudden <laughs> we go from everything is vanity, everything is vanity to by the hand of God we can find great joy. That leads us to the, the last point that we see and that is God does not grant an enjoyable life to one he judges to be continually sinful. How could Solomon say this? Why did he say the business of it? When he talked about the fact that the one that sins, he's going to give it to the one that pleases God. Solomon 
spent all of his life in all of these trivial pursuits, taking God away from the center of his life to pursuing all these trivial things. And he was not in grant, granted enjoyment. Believer, churchgoer, church family, if your focus in life is just work hard and toil hard, it's not going to be the same. If your whole focus, if you're missing the mark, if, you're, if life is about you and about your accomplishments, you're going to miss the mark and the joy is going to go to someone else. Another theologian put it this way. He said, all the things that we call the goods of life, health, riches, possessions, position, sensual pleasures, honor, prestige, slip through man's hands unless they are received as a gift from God. And until God gives man the ability to enjoy them and attain satisfaction from them. The sinner cannot give, cannot ever get happiness. It will be gone like the wind. Is your life meaningful? Fulfilling? Joyful? I didn't mean whether, I didn't, I didn't ask whether you're successful didn't ask whether you have lots of money. Didn't ask whether you just feel good. Right? All those things are like the wind. They come, they go. Sometimes they blow down our life. <laughs> like they may have done the other day. Is your life meaningful, fulfilling, joyful? Have you, ever, have you been trying to find happiness on your own without God? Does God classify you as a good and righteous believer because you continually please him or obey him? Does God classify you as a sinner because you are continually disobeying him? Where is your focus? Is it on the earth or is it a heavenly focus? Jesus put it this way as we close. In Luke chapter 12, in verse 16 through 21, Jesus brought up this point. He was asked about, a guy was talking about how, did, how should he leave his wealth and what should I do with the wealth? How should I leave the wealth? And in Luke 12, verse 16, he says, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful, and he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my good. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample good laid up for many years. Basically, he's talking about retiring. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, those whose will they be? 
So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Where do your riches in life lie? Where are your treasures? Colossians 3, maybe you're familiar with this, 16, 17 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Do you treasure God's word? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord. Focus, treasure, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 31 through 34 Therefore, do be anxious and say, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Where shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his good, and all these things will be added to you. What will be added to you? He will grant you wisdom, knowledge, joy. Therefore, don't be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Sufficient is the, is the day, is its own trouble. Here's the thing. Too many of us have learned the ladders of life. We're going to love God, and then we're going to love our family, and then we're going to love work. Sometimes we get that out of order and we put work here. We, we have this order And we look up. The problem is, is we're looking up to God through work. We're looking up to God through family. We're looking up and we're getting distracted by all those things. I want to give you a new model. Solomon said that the real model is this. Have you ever thrown a rock into a puddle or a pond or a a lake? My favorite time is to do it is when it's First thing in the morning, no wind, everything is calm. I know it's hard to find that here in Whatcom County. But if you find a lake, it's very calm, and you throw that rock in, what what happens? Boom, you see a, a splash, and then all of a sudden, what comes out of it? Ripples. I want you to have a new picture. God is, when he died on the cross for your sins, and he rose again, and he became our go between And he paid for your sin, took on the wrath of God, and he says, believe in me, I am the Savior, it's my work. The rock of God landed in your life, and it sends out rippling effects. God is the center at the work of your life. And as it ripples out, it affects your family. It affects your work. It affects your relationships. It affects everything. It ripples out from that one drop in your life. Stop trying to work up. Work from what God has done for you. Because He has done great things. That's why we praise Him. That's why we love His Word. Because we want to know this great God who wants to exude joy in your life to conquer all the circumstances that you are facing, that you will face, or that you have faced.
let God be the work in your life. Will you do that? Or are you going to put all your emphasis in your work, in your possessions, in your accomplishments? Put all of your eggs in God's accomplishments. And He, out of that one treasure, will ripple effect everything else. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this great truth. I pray that your spirit has spoken in some way with maybe one of these things that these verses bear to mind in someone's life this morning. May it affect us all in some way. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would work in our life and that, Lord, we would allow you to be the rippling effect in our life. Thank you for the fact that we can rejoice and rejoice always in you because we have a peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and our minds against the circumstances that this world has to offer. And it gives us the ability to think clearly, to enjoy life in the midst of the most horrific circumstances. So Lord, as we look at this new year, Lord, I pray that these things that we've studied, these trivial pursuits, that we would realize there's only one pursuit that matters, and that is our love for you. And may that have a rippling effect in our church family this year. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.